Well, Shannon, if you're a uh, Toronto sports fan, pretty good day yesterday, all in all. Uh, the Raptors uh, get a, um, a miracle shot at the buzzer to win. Uh, Maple Leafs sweep their little two-game series with Calgary, which maybe you and I and four friends could have done. Uh, uh, come on now. Come on now. That's a little harsh, you know. It's a little harsh. But it's real. It's, you know, they well, are they, not, they are not playing well. They're, they're, they're working hard in the offensive zone and they're making too many mistakes in the defensive zone. The flames are that's uh, well, you know, for analyze, analyze your ass off. Uh, the truth of the matter is they can't beat anybody. So that's the reality. <laughs> and hold on, uh, hold on. Anybody the, the Toronto might be the, you know, one of the top three teams in the league. The, Toronto's a little more than just anybody. Well, that's, I, I, I grant that's the that, impressive they, part. They're, they're failing in their effort to make a move to improve their position in the standings in anticipation of a potential playoff berth, which seems like a complete and total pipe dream. Um, that having been said, so what's the other? T- the Blue Jays um, won comfortably yesterday. Six to two yesterday. How about how about all those people at the stadium in Texas? Oh my goodness! Uh, not surprising. I mean, there's not, nothing stupider than uh, people in Texas. But, um, and, and a significant number of them with no masks on as well. And I guess if you're going to sit beside somebody, um, if you have a mask on or don't have a mask on, maybe it doesn't mean a damn thing. I don't know. I I mean, who has the answer? No, you do know. You do know. If you wear a mask, you, you cut down the chances. Not, it's not a hundred percent, but you cut down the chances. Well, says, says some guy who, um, who has been wrong about just about everything else. No, wears a mask a lot. No. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I wear my mask too, but I, I do it because okay. they tell me to, not because I know it's any be- it makes any difference. So in yes, any you, event. You, guys, you know, you big guys in the big smoke, Toronto wins three times yesterday, so life is good. Well, that was sort of my point, but you keep taking me <laughs> off on a tangent. Uh, and I've the never, Jays- you're never off on a tangent, are you? Bob, your whole life is a tangent. Yeah, well, get used to it. Um, I, I'll tell you, you know, the Blue Jays' offense has not been overwhelming by any stretch of the imagination, but the pitching has They're been pitching. superb. The the big, you know, question mark for this franchise was pitching, and it has been impeccable um, through the first four games. So, so if the Jays were one and three, we would stay. It's early, so they're three and one. It's still early. Uh, when you got 162 to play and you're through four, it's early. Whether you're, you know, three and one, one and three, zero oh and four, four and zero, oh, two and two, whatever you are. Exactly. I think I covered all the possibilities. Uh, the uh, the greatest waste of time in all of sport um, arrives soon. The trade deadline in the National Hockey League, where two major sports networks will devote hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, all kinds of resources, um, dozens and dozens of people to analyze nothing. i tell you what, Bob, then you know what? We should waste some time doing it too. Well, you have booked that <laughs> very process for us today. So, uh, fortuitously, Let's waste some more time. Fortuitously, it is with a couple of uh, good guys and uh, pals of ours, and uh, we'll see what they have to say about the upcoming scenario. Uh, Eric Dehachik, uh, Scott Burnside will uh, join us momentarily when we continue after this.
Well, Callan Shannon on the uh, program for uh, today and uh, with us, a couple of hockey pucks. In uh, Calgary, Eric Duhachuk joins us. And in, uh, well, usually Atlanta, but now what, Panama Beach? Is that where you are, Burnside? Yeah, Panama City Beach. Just uh, just uh, mixing things up here as we head into the trade deadline. So, uh, yeah, no, it's... Uh... <laughs> it's a just a it's the same thing right bob you never leave the house it's just i'm in a different house so that's well, all you're in the one hockey. of the hockey meccas of america i'm that's quite right. sure <laughs> well not to hijack things right away but you know who used to be down here and i used to be in contact with pretty regularly is glenn metropolit he uh he was down here for i think he's now in tampa he's got uh, but he was down here in the uh, 30a area of the panhandle wow. and uh, so he used to trade text with Glenn Metropolitan every once in a while, but that's the extent of the hockey connection down here. I can say that. Well, to quote an old friend of ours, good Toronto boy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, coming up on uh, Monday, the uh, trade deadline, the most colossal waste of time in uh, the entire world. Um, nothing is, everybody's nodding here, uh, except for <laughs> Shannon, who of course. I, don't know, well, I, I just, I, I laugh when you say it's a waste of time and then you're going to spend 50 minutes talking about it, you know? Well, the, because you booked this program no, is why well, I'm you, doing you, it. I'm doing it for your amusement. Well, Certainly you know, not I, mine. I, well, much no, as I love you, to talk to these two characters, um, <laughs> uh, on any other topic, I'd be much more interested. In fact, um, I'd be much more interested if it wasn't even hockey we'd be talking about. But nonetheless, uh, let us go through this uh, complete and utter waste of time. <laughs> Um, yeah. tell, now, tell the listeners not to listen. Have, have, don't listen to this. Shut it off right away. <laughs> You'll learn nothing. Nothing of consequence will come of this conversation. Now, did you two guys, Duhachik, you did stuff for the idiot trade deadline day on, the, uh, on one of the two networks, or perhaps even both of them at one point. Did you not? I, absolutely. Yes. Uh, there was a period of time when I was part of that TSN crowd. And I use the term, you know, figuratively as well as literally, where they had like 16 different sets. And I was oh, part yeah. of the, the writer's, you know, insight into whatever. And so <laughs> they would only ever go to us uh, when, when nothing was happening, which was always like the first three hours of programming. So like when they were trying to fill, they would go to me and Farber and, and that lot. And then all of a sudden, you know, all of those major you know, fifth round draft choices, guys you never heard of trades started happening. And then they go to the, the quote, the real insider. So yes, I have done that. And you're right. They, they always seem to spend two weeks leading into that programming, apologizing for the, the poor hosts like Duffy who are going to have to fill eight hours. And then momentum picks up as it approaches the deadline. And there are transactions, whether you call them blockbuster trades or not is another matter. And and then at the end of the day, the ratings are so great that the next year they add two other hours and they start at six in the morning. So I'm kind of with you on this. <laughs> I'm kind of with you on this. Uh, Scotty, did you do, I, I don't recall, did you do any of these uh, TSN or Sportsnet um, epics? No, I never got invited to the big stage. Although during my tenure at ESPN, that the trade deadline was uh, was a big deal relatively speaking, as it related to hockey. And for many years, uh, Pierre Lebrun and I would trundle down to uh, to Bristol, Connecticut, along with uh, whoever, you know, else made up the hockey group at that time, Katie Strang and Joey McDonald and um, at various times. But it, it, the you know, I think once I ended up on the real desk with Linda Cohn during trade deadline, and we always taped a show, um, 
that went to right to the site, but we and John Bouchergrass was the host or uh, maybe Steve Levy may have hosted it, but no, even for ESPN. And I don't mean to, you know, sort of kick at the NHL's new partner, but relatively speaking, it was a real, it was a big deal. The trade deadline was, a, was a big deal for the hockey group at ESPN because it is what it is. Eric's point is an excellent one, right? I mean, you just, even if the trade, I see, I'm, I'm not as cynical about it because I, it is, I think it's a great time. And in the timing is interesting. Uh, Pierre Lebrun and I just literally finished taping our own podcast segment with Jim Rutherford. And uh, you know, he, this is his first trade deadline since 1994 when mm-hmm. he took on the job in Hartford that he's not going to be in, in the midst of it. And yeah, it's, some stuff never happens, but you know what? There's always something that happens either good or bad. A, a team, you know, craters by making a horrific deal and spending too much on a player maybe like taylor hall but there are also deals every year where at the end of it you're like oh you know what like how how important were the blake coleman and barkley goodrow uh to the tampa bay lightning and winning a stanley cup these things happen so yeah maybe it's i just don't think i'm not as cynical about it i'm excited even though monday looms as maybe a potential you know, sort of non-event because of the flat cap and COVID and the quarantine and the expansion draft, I'm still pumped for it. So there you go. No, the, the other, the other aspect of that, Scott, is that it, it could become a dud because uh, the delineation between buyers and sellers. Uh, and, you know, if you're, if you're a team that's a buyer um, or you already think you're in the playoffs, this is not the year to be, you know, spending a lot to give up, to get something because it's such a strange year. And, you know, you look at the, you look at the central division and that's the division folks where Tampa and Florida and Carolina are light years ahead of everyone else. Um, You know, they don't have to do anything. They, they, you know, they've, they've got a good solid core and they're, and they're set. And you, you don't want to put yourself of mortgaging the future at all in a year like this, do you? No, absolutely not. And and that's, I guess my point is going to be that I, I can only imagine tweaks happening. So you, I, I think the two best teams in the National Hockey League right now are Tampa and Colorado. And what do they have in common? They have excellent goaltending, guys who are in the Vezina Trophy conversation and you know, you have no issues as long as you're convinced that Philip Grubar and Andre Vasilevsky are going to be healthy from here to the yeah. end. But if you get past those two guys, and if you have an injury, they don't have anyone, I don't think, that can come in and win games for them. So I think their seasons could completely poof, disappear, go right up in smoke if they had an injury to a goaltender. So is it not important for those teams to get someone in there that can reliably win games for you on the off chance that your starters get hurt. So that to me, uh, and then you look at the, at the salary cap and you realize, well, they can't bring anybody in because they don't have any money to spend. And it becomes this, this puzzle. It, it becomes way more complicated than it has to be because they have to shoehorn, let's say Jonathan Bernier's contract in by moving something. But yeah, and, and I guess this is when, when I, I go into old guy mode because it used to be, John, as you know, way simpler, where if you if Kenny Holland wanted to go and add a piece, 
he would just go to you know knock on Mike Illich's door and Mr. Illich, we need you know Luke Robitaille, we need Brett Hull, and it was like yeah, go ahead, and 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 you do it, and and away it goes. Now you practically have to be an accountant, you have to mm -hmm. be a lawyer, you have to have all of these skill sets that are not normally associated with what we do to try and figure out how to add a backup bullpen. Part that drives me crazy. It's just it's, it's unnecessarily complicated for something that should be a fairly simple transaction. Actually, we so, had uh, we had uh, Richard Petty on yesterday, and and he said, "Well, Pat Quinn, you know, he just he had a budget and exceeded it every time." I remember one one trade deadline before the cap was put in place. Pat just went out and you know whether it was Brian Leach, Phil Housley, Ron Francis. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> it just yeah. just go get them because we got a chance to win and and why not and they didn't win that's my point why not but you can't do that anymore so you know we 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 we, we dissect in this you know tiny tiny minutiae names that the average hockey fan they don't even know who these people are so and but john i thought you raised another really interesting point because so one of the things that you know scotty and i work at the athletic and on march the first us, we, like everybody else, created our big trade board, right? Our big trade board. Here are the 25 to 30 names of people you should be watching and monitoring. And if you go back and look at the big trade board on, on March the 1st, it is populated by Nashville Predators and Arizona Coyotes. Why? Well, you know, those teams were not going to make the playoffs on, on March the, the 1st, and they were having disappointing seasons. And one team had all these defensemen on expiring contracts who would be great rentals. And the other team, Nashville, is like, oh, what's happening there? And then, you know, you fast forward five weeks and you know, both teams are in the playoffs. So, so, so now what do you do? You know, we're going back and, and redoing the big trade board because something completely unexpected happened. Two teams that, that looked like they were completely out of it by the nature of this divisional play where you can gobble up ground quickly because you're just playing divisional opponents. It's, it's completely shifted. And, and, you know, I think you alluded to this, John, that, you know, so many teams are waiting until the 11th hour and the 59th minute to say, you know, buy, sell, stay put. I mean, they don't know. It's, it's you know, th that to me is the, the other layer that uh, that has affected uh, this season, that the, the gap between, you know, the, you know, the haves and the have nots, the, the, the buyers and the sellers isn't as great as, as it usually is. And, and everyone is deluding themselves that, hey, we still got a chance. So yeah. uh, does that create gridlock or, or, or a flurry of activity at the end? And I hope it's a flurry of activity at the end, but, but I suspect it might just be gridlock. Well, see, but here, it, I, my take on this would be that at some point, though, there, will, there, are, there are teams that will be in this because they have to be or they can be or they are in a position you know like Kyle Dubas has been unequivocal right at least they're gonna add right are they gonna add a top nine forward maybe a top six somebody who can play on the wing in the top two lines we know that Lula Morello with the Islanders because of Anders Lee's season-ending uh, knee injury uh, that he's got cap space to spend and he's got a team that, that you know that that could come out of the East. Uh, so he's going to, just as he did last year with picking up Pajot from Ottawa and uh, Andy Green from New Jersey, Lou Lamorello is going to be a player. If you're Kevin Chevel day off, that's a really good Winnipeg team. Now, maybe, so Matthias Ekholm maybe not be in the mix anymore in, in Nashville because now the Predators, you know, maybe they go on a run. Maybe they're suddenly buyers to Eric's point. 
But Winnipeg has a shot, I think, as, as good a shot as anyone to come out of that North Division. And mm-hmm. why not make that ad if it's a David Savard from Columbus or whoever it is? It, you're still going to have five or six teams that need to make a, a move of varying significance. Colorado cannot they cannot go through the trade deadline without adding a bona fide NHL goaltender. That's that would be madness. And, you know, so I, I, I'd still hold out hope for, you know, and you know, what are you going to do with like Taylor Hall has to go somewhere, right? I mean, what, he's just going to play out the string and Buffalo try and pad his two goal total. I mean, come on. So at some point, and we've already seen like, to me, this is where it gets interesting is that you see that Mark Bergman goes out early uh, to beat the quarantine. He gets Eric Stahl. He quarantines for seven days, comes in, scores the overtime winner uh, against Edmonton. If you, why, okay, there you go. It works, right? I mean, sign me up, make a trade. Yeah, but, but Burnside, you're, you're making a case for all kinds of stiffs and irrelevant deals that you think are really significant. Colorado has to get a backup goaltender. Honest to God, walk down the street, you can find a backup goaltender. Taylor Hall, we're going to talk about Taylor Hall as a significant addition to anybody. He's a guy nobody wants. (laughs) Somebody will take for nothing. And Buffalo will be happy to just get rid of him because he's a stiff. Yeah, well, I I don't disagree that his the the varnish is off the Taylor Hall yeah think uh, bobble, <laughs> <laughs> but guy still won a Hart Trophy, and this is like again, I'm not overstating. If, if I'm a GM, I want very little part of Taylor Hall at you know unless it's a fourth round pick. But again, this is the part that I think will be intriguing as you approach 3 p.m. Eastern on Monday, which GM and you know, whether it's Kyle Dubas, whether it's uh, Lou Lamorello, at some point, someone's going to say, you know what, I think I think I can rehabilitate Taylor Hall, right? I mean, because there is that, that's the great arrogance of all the NHL GMs. Wow. And, off, and sometimes it works, right? I mean, and I'll just go back, Jim Rutherford, who <clears throat> talked a bit, you know, was at the trade deadline in 16, I believe. He picked up Justin Schultz from Edmonton. Right. And they could not wait to get rid of him. Hated Justin Schultz in Edmonton. And he was a critical part of two Stanley Cups in Pittsburgh. And he may be part of a Stanley Cup in Washington this year. But again, you know, and to your point, Bob, yeah, it was a nothing deal. And people were like, really? We want Justin Schultz? Those are the kinds of deals that at the end of the day, you know, and maybe somebody, you know, resurrects Taylor Hall. I, I don't know. I wouldn't want him for anything more than the fourth round pick, but maybe well, someone bro- will. Burnside, here's the point. Um, uh, if Taylor Hall gets traded on Monday, uh, cl- give me a call and wake me up, all right? Because that's <laughs> okay. what it's going to take for me to be the... I'm not even going to be the least bit interested when I wake up, but um, it's a bunch of stiffs moving for other stiffs. It's junk for junk. That's what happens here. Cite the most significant deal made on trade deadline in your, in your recollection. Well, I mean, it's, it's, the, it's, the fabled, it's the fabled Butch Goring trade. That's what it is, but that that was before trade deadline was really trade deadline. Well, it wasn't even trade went, deadline. You're right, and and no, no. it was it was 50 years ago. I, you know the, the the interesting thing that both Scott and Eric talked about, and Eric, you'd get a kick out of this is is uh, you talk about when the clock ticks towards three Eastern. I swear there are four or five managers if they haven't got anything done, they break out in hives. That they oh, oh that that's a good feel, point. They, they feel they feel they need to do something. And the guy at the top of the list, and he's a friend of mine, and I, we laugh about it every year, is David Poyle. 
David Poyle needs to be part of the trade deadline. He, he, he's, he's pacing in his office at 2.53 saying, I've got to do something. There's got to be something to be done. So I, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say if at 2.53, if Taylor Hall hasn't moved, I'm predicting Taylor Hall goes to the Nashville Predators. <laughs> because, because. well, in, in many ways, yes, Bob. Just because, but at the same time, if you put two and two together and you say, hey, Nashville's playing well, you know, they need, if Taylor, if Taylor Hall can turn it around, he can score some goals. You always can use a good top six forward if that's what Taylor Hall is anymore. That makes some sense. Is Taylor he? Hall to Nashville. Well, let's is be he? honest here. Is, is he a top six forward? That's a, that is the, you know, might the be a top six forward on, a, on an AHL team, but I'm not sure he's a top 12 forward on any NHL team. How many goals has the guy got? Two, two. three, two. 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 It's a goal I, I, score. I, He's got two goals. I think the feeling is he, relatively speaking, hasn't played poorly in Buffalo, just doesn't have anything to show for it, which you could say for just about everyone. There. Are you but, on the payroll, Burnside? Are I'm you just his, telling Are you, you working I, for his agent? I'm already telling you. I wouldn't give you anything more than the fourth round pick for him, but I think someone will. Here's my prediction. I predict, and it won't be right, and, and I would denounce it. I bet someone antes at least a second round pick for Taylor Hall. That's my prediction. Wow. The fact that we have spent the last five minutes talking about the relevance of Taylor Hall indicates exactly what trade deadline is about. Is about. It means nothing. It's a bunch of hockey pucks sitting around with nothing better to do than contemplate their navels and a bunch of fourth round picks. That's what this thing is. It's the greatest con in in. in well, well, it's not a con. It's not a con. Of course, it is. Yes, it is con. because it's, the two sports networks and the league promote it as this it, it, big it, thing, and it's a it's big throwing, thing about nothing. It's throwing bird feed on the ground and watching the pigeons come and eat it. That's what it is. Well, I understand that this is uh, one of the highlights of your day uh, is to uh, go into the backyard and watch the pigeons feed, but uh, the rest of the world has better things to do. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, the concept that Toronto Maple Leafs want to get a second-line player, that's very well and good. I don't know how they're going to afford it, first of all. But second of all, who's that guy? What's, who's the, who are the Toronto, might the Toronto Maple Leafs even be looking at? Who well, fits that qualification? Quali- 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 looking for a forward reinforcement, you know, a month ago, the expectation would, was that it would be Michael Granlund of the National Predators because they were, they were a team that was interested in signing him. He ended up going back to Nashville a month ago. Nashville didn't look like a playoff team. He's on an expiring contract, which I think is really critical for this year's trade deadline. And he looked like, like a fit there. So now they're back, you know, Nashville's back in the mix. Now you have to start shopping the, you know, the lists of, of the teams that aren't, you know, to, to me, the New Jersey devils are of interest because they have a player, Kyle Palmieri, who has scored, 30 goals in the National Hockey League on a fairly regular basis is on an expiring contract and 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 will move at, at the trade deadline and and you know like last year the Rangers went through this dance with the, with Chris Kreider and it was it was are we trading him are we signing him are we trading him are we signing him they ended up signing him to an extension and so he was the guy that was number one on everybody's trade boards last year and then 72 hours before the trade deadline, signs a contract extension and disappears from the trade board and everybody else moves up a, a notch. So this year, it's pretty clear that Paul Mary is not signing an extension. 
and that the teams that are interested in looking for a guy that not that long ago scored 30 goals in the National Hockey League are going to are going to bid for him. And so you you look at the Boston Bruins, they're like the Leafs, they've got five forwards that they really like, and and they haven't got as much out of Jake DeBrusk because they they liked this year, so they would really like one more piece. And so you know he's probably one of the quote bigger names that is going to move. But can I just circle back to something that you said earlier, Bob, about the trade demo? Because what ends up happening is that there's always one transaction mixed in with those 25 or 30 that if you're actually looking at a printed out list of, of the thing as it's over, you, you almost skip right by it. What? You know, I, you know, and then, you know, when, when you sort of look through the ashes of what happened, it, it, it ends up being significant. And to me, because you asked the question, the most significant one that's happened in the last 10 years is a transaction between Columbus and Los Angeles in 2014. And the Kings were trying to you know, go for a, a second Stanley Cup and, the, and they picked up Marion Gabrick and, and they got him for peanuts. They got him for Matt Fratton and a couple of conditional picks and, and they got Columbus to eat salary. You know, it was, just, it was just the end of the line for Gabrick and it went right down to the wire. And the manager there at the time, Dean Lombardi, was very clever because there was a whole bunch of guys that were just sort of lingering there, Mike Camilleri. And, and part of his negotiation was like, I could pick up, I'll take this guy, I'll take that guy, I'm just looking for a piece. And he managed to make a very favorable deal for Marion Gabrick. And at the end of the playoffs, they played 26 games. He scored 14 goals. That was the leading goal scoring total in the playoffs he made a difference they probably wouldn't have won without him because that was a team that had to win a lot of low scoring games relied on Jonathan Quick relied on Drew Dowdy so that one transaction which I don't think very many people were focused on in 2014 made a difference but you know we're talking about that one and, and a handful of others Jeff Carter you know a couple of years before in if you look back at 10 years of transactions how many made a, a tangible difference? Not a support piece like a Michael Campney. Those guys always help, but a guy that made a difference. It, it has happened occasionally, but it very, very rarely happens. Uh, we got to take the break. We'll come back and um, continue this conversation, perhaps. Uh, trade deadline day approaching. Dehachik Burnside uh, with us back after these messages. Yours truly, Bob McCown, along with the John Shannon. Eric Dehachik and Scott Burnside, both of The Athletic, are with us from um, north and south of the 49th. And, and that is the point, I think, of the next um, topic of discussion. There has been much debate about the merit, the willingness of teams to trade across the 49th parallel, um, particularly Canadian teams acquiring players from the U.S., because of the COVID situation and the fact that you're losing at least two weeks. And we've talked, John and I have talked to a couple general managers who haven't disputed the notion that effectively you're losing close to three weeks. Well, that's because, changed now, Bob. We're down to seven days now. Right? Uh, okay, granted. But we're, you're at two weeks now, probably because the guy's off for a week. It's going to take a while we'll see. to we'll assimilate. We'll see. Eric Stahl... Eric Stahl to, to, to Scotty's point earlier, Eric Stahl went exactly seven days and was in the lineup on day seven and scored. So seven days from team to team is a realistic number. Well, then based on that information, um, all teams should be making trades um, regardless of the quality of the players because uh, anybody can come in and score a goal right away. 
I love uh, the way I love the way Bob's logic fits in in the show all the time. It's fantastic. Well, it's it, somebody's got to have some logic. <laughs> um, well, I'm not sure it's I'm not sure it's the host, but yes, go ahead. So would say that if you're if you're a Canadian general manager and I mean I don't know Winnipeg is looking to tweak Toronto's maybe looking to tweak I don't think Montreal's likely to do anything else um, I, I haven't heard much about Edmonton uh, I don't think they can really Bob uh, they're, they're pretty much they're, stuck they're, aren't they they're they're tight to the cap and if they, if there's money if they get something it's going to be money in money out so I'm and, not sure and, they have many and the other three. Um, I don't know about Ottawa. Ottawa's still young and maybe they feel pretty good about where they might be going. Calgary, uh, Vancouver are both a mess and probably want to unload some people. Are there going to be plays here? Well, I mean, part of the issue is you got to figure out what's happening with Vancouver and their horrific COVID situation as, as we're chatting today. Um, certainly... I mean, the NHL continues to insist that they believe the Canucks can play a 56-game schedule. I've talked to some people who believe that that's very much in question, but certainly there are players there, a guy like Tanner Pearson, that the Canucks could likely move for a decent return. Um, and Eric can speak better to the Calgary thing, but what a what it's a complete disaster there. And you know, after you know a couple of you know brief early shining moments under Daryl Sutter. I mean, that team is completely aimless. And, and now I think, boy, I, like, I just don't know what, what is ahead for that team organizationally. And at some point they're going to have to take a good hard look about moving on core pieces, but I don't think you can move them at the deadline. Although, you know, That's for me, I like, yeah, a Johnny Gaudreau, a, you know, whatever you're going to do in Van or in Calgary, you know, something has to be done there, but they're, they're, they're pretty much out of it. And, and to your point on the seven days, you know, if you, if you're only going to deal, you know, if you're Kyle Dubas and you prefer not to have a, to wait seven days at the minimum to get a guy in your lineup, it, you are pretty limited on what you could expect to, to yield from the teams that you can deal with in the North division. So it does, you know, I'm a bit surprised we haven't seen more, you know, sort of movement a la Mark Bergman picking up Eric Stahl um, as early as he did. I'm surprised we didn't see more of that, frankly. Well, and that, that's a great point, Scotty, because, because that, a month ago, I kept hearing that from, from managers that, you know, everyone's going to move early this year. Everyone's going to move early. Well, early has left the building, right? So now we're, we're, we're down to late. And uh, but what has happened is there has been more settling of the of the standings and, and especially in the north. So to your point about uh, Calgary, they were a, a month ago a team that legitimately thought that you know with the coaching change they would be able to have a surge and then continue that surge and and at least be in the mix along with the four teams that are going to make the playoffs and and therefore that would have made them you know in the market for a rental probably uh, but but nothing more than that and and you know the the script has flipped since then and now they're going to be a seller for sure now what do they have to sell it's not very exciting probably the most attractive guy on that roster is their backup goaltender david riddick because he's on an expiring contract he's making 2.75 million and just because of the way Markstrom has struggled lately he's gone in and 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 played okay you know so if if there's a goaltender market at all that revolves around Jonathan Bernier 
and, and you're the team that comes up short, I think David Riddick is someone that, uh, that teams have to look at. Um, you know, in terms of guys on expiring contracts, it's just a bunch of minimum wage guys. It's, you know, yeah. the Josh Levos, the Brett Ritchies, the, the Nordstroms, those are guys that are, you know, fifth round picks. Derek Ryan at 3.125 is one of those versatile people that can win some face-offs, kill some penalties, play wing, play center, good team guy experience. Like, like to me, he would be a fit in Carolina. Remember how we were all speculating that it would, wouldn't it be nice if Eric Stahl could go back to Carolina and finish his, his career with, with, with the Hurricanes? Well, you know, Derek Ryan started his career in, in Carolina. They know him there, again, as a depth piece that, you know, doesn't cost you very much. Uh, with, you know, Calgary taking salary back, you know, there, there might be a fit there. But the type of deal that you're talking about, Scotty, where you're, you're looking at a core piece, those are just so hard to do at, at, at the deadline. I think they are going to have to really do an, an examination of the, of the body when, when all is said and done and, and, and start to make decisions about Johnny Gaudreau, about Sean Monaghan, even about Matthew Kachuk. The, you know, Kachuk, I think, is a, is a key piece going forward. But when he signed his bridge contract, you know, year, the final year of it is, is worth $9 million. So at some point, they're going to have to qualify Matthew Kachuk at $9 million to, to keep his rights. And that, you know, that's, a, that's a, going to be an expensive piece going forward. So uh, it, it's complicated. And, you know, you, just the way that the organization works, and Jonathan can speak to this, they, they don't like to make rash decisions in the Murray Edwards type of a, of a company. So it's hard for me to believe, unless they can, think they can make a, a bold hockey deal at the deadline, that, that these major decisions aren't going to be pushed into the summer. Mm. Well, in fact, Brad was on with us last Friday and told us, I don't do my big deals until the summertime or, or at, as we know, on the draft floor where he's done most of his, uh, his, his big dealing. Scotty, to, just to finish up on Vancouver, uh, and, and I'm stating the obvious, but I think a lot of people don't realize they will not play another game before the deadline. Yeah, that's oh, for sure. That 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 that's the uh, well, but because the deadline, you know, it, it it's always looming. It's looming. It never happens, and then all of a sudden, it's there. And then with what's happened with Vancouver, they probably won't play anywhere any game earlier than the seventeenth of August. I think. I think that's probably the date that Lake Leaf is looking back to getting back and play. But that's not even a guarantee. So yeah, from Vancouver's yeah. perspective, whew, yeah, yeah, April seventeenth. Yeah, so I just don't see Vancouver being able to do anything, and I don't. I think it would be difficult difficult to get a guy out of there. Well, what, and I'm not. Were, I'm not talking financially. I'm talking medically. If yeah. you, well, if you're an opposing team, would you even make contemplate doing a deal for somebody when you don't have a full disclosure of what his health situation is? Well, well you'd have, I mean, that would, the teams do. The, the teams do. Yeah, you know. The teams do get full disclosure on, but, All but right. that's, the, that's the risk of COVID. That's the risk of, of the variance and the risk of COVID. That's right. Would you make a deal for a guy who's got COVID right now? I mean, 99% of them are going to be okay in some time, but yeah. um, you don't know don't what know. the long-term impact of this is going to be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I, no, I, I agree with you. I want, I wonder what Ottawa will do. Because we all know they're not going to make the playoffs. We, we all see the core, where the core is. And then you've got, you, you do have a couple of veteran defensemen there. Um, and, 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 you, and Pierre Dorian has to sit and ask what the question is, is are, are Braden Coburn and Erica Branson, are they valuable members of this team in the future? 
Um, and you know, there are, I think there are days you say yes, and there are days you say no. And those are, to me, those are two, two key players that could make a difference for a team. Yeah. To me, the, the guy there is Ryan Zingle and, you know, who once, I think he had 28 goals. I have to look it up, but you know, his, his best days were as an Ottawa Senator, um, didn't work out in Columbus and didn't work out in Carolina, but Bob, to your point, if you're, if you're a North division team and you're looking for somebody, you know, who has shown that at some point he's an NHL scorer, that he's a guy on an expiring contract that, um, you know, maybe that, you know, maybe, you know, if you can find a way to make it work dollar in dollar out, either in Edmonton or Toronto, maybe that, that's a fit. Uh, Eric, I was curious about Sam Bennett. Do you, I know you wrote about him some time ago, a guy a little bit off the radar and certainly his discussion, he would prefer, I think, to be somewhere else than Calgary. And that came up earlier in the season and can only imagine that he would relish a chance to play on a playoff team, but he's not believing he's going to be an RFA if I'm not mistaken this summer. And that, that is the big complication, Scott. You're right. Like if, if you're a team that is looking for, you know, what we call a playoff style player, you know, so someone who plays with an edge, you know, someone who elevates their game in the playoffs. I mean, the, 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 the big thing about the National Hockey League has always been the game changes in the playoffs and some players don't respond to the way the game changes. The, the calls are not as, the games are not called as tight. So you need to be able to be all in. You need to have a, a level of energy. And, and Bennett is that guy. If, if you compare the way he plays in the playoffs, I mean, that, he has a nickname in Calgary. There's playoff Sam Bennett and there's regular season Sam Bennett. So playoff Sam Bennett is an intriguing commodity. And, and so, you know, you've got a guy who's making under $3 million a year, who's signed for this year and, and, and next year. And, 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 and he's a, he's a good player. So I, I think that, um, for sure, you know, there will be teams lining up uh, asking about him. I know Colorado has, has expressed an interest. Um, he would be a really good fit on a handful of teams as a third line guy that will, will score those goals that, you know, the Barkley Goudreau's and, and, and the Blake Coleman's uh, have scored in the past. If, but, you know, Bob started this segment with, a, like, I, I thought a really good point, which is that, you know, like you end up having, you know, a whole bunch to do about nothing. But what ends up happening is that, you know, last GMs will look at, they, they have this recency bias, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So they look at last year and they say, wow, Tampa went out and got these, you know, character guys that can play in the bottom six. And they actually made a difference in transforming a team that was a little bit too light and a little bit too easy to play against. And, and help them win a championship. So who's that guy this year? Well, it's Sam Bennett. You know, he, he's exactly like that. And so the price for those two in, from Tampa last year was first-round pick. And so yeah. if, if somebody were to, to pony up a first-round pick for Sam Bennett, who did go fourth overall in 2014, you're right. He would be a guy on the move. And he is a guy that potentially could make a difference. Too many See, I, I'm, not, I'm not on that page with you, Eric. I don't – I don't – Sam – uh, if you talk about playoffs, Sam Bennett, I, I understand. I think he, he plays better, but I, I don't know how far Calgary's ever gone with playoff Sam Bennett. You know, I, and, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm one of those guys that this is still a team sport and, and you have to be able to put that cog in the right spot. I just, I do not see Sam Bennett making a difference period anywhere. And if, if, if the, if, if Brad Living can get a first round pick for Sam Bennett, give him an extension. If, if, if a general manager gives up a first round pick for Sam Bennett, fire him. 
you know, because that to me, that just doesn't make any sense. Well, here's what I would say. I think there's going to be inquiries for Sam Bennett and then then it's a bidding war. Right. So that so, you know, you you know, somebody's going to offer a third. They're going to ask for a first. You know, maybe they settle for a second. I mean, that that's how those deals work at that. At- I know, but <laughs> I don't think Sam diff- I don't think Sam's a difference maker. I'm sorry. Well, what's intriguing to me is there's two here's two guys that we've talked about um, Bennett and Hall, both of whom were first round picks. Um, oh, yeah. Both of whom are going to be on the block, we assume, um, on Monday or before. Do you pay more be- because they were first round picks? Simply because no, that no, you still no. have that image. Well, two guys are nodding and you're shaking your head, Shannon. No, you, you surprise you me. Can't, no, ahead. I mean, hey, listen, no, you can't anymore. I mean, the the, the body of work that these guys are going to be measured by are what they've done in the National Hockey League, not what they did for the you know for for Kingston and Windsor. You know, that's that's yeah, I just don't not ag- the case. I don't I don't agree. I think hockey people are that way. They they're looking for that you know that revitalization that I. I can fix this guy. The rest of them couldn't, but I'm smarter than the rest of them. Yeah, I can fix yeah. him. I can turn Taylor Hall from a two-goal scorer into a 22-goal scorer just like that. I think it matters. What do you... I tell you what, Eric and Scott can jump in, but all I say is I don't mind taking the risk, but I'm not giving away a high draft pick for any of that risk. I'm not giving... That's not what you do. Right, Scotty? Well, yeah, but I agree with that. But you're, you you sort of destroy your own argument when you're saying, well, I wouldn't give a first-round pick for not, Sam I'm Bennett, not. but not, he I'm was not. the fourth overall pick. So at some point, someone believed enough in that kid. And to Bob's point, is there still something there that someone else can turn, you know, turning straw into gold? And I and I think there is. If, if, if we're not having this discussion about Sam Bennett, if he's a fifth round pick, like, or the discussion is, geez, could you get a fourth for him? (laughs) I don't know. Like what the flames would give you, they would give him away for anything if he was a fifth round pick. But I think the fact that he is a fourth round pick and at some point, if, if they turn around and fourth overall pick, sorry, fourth overall pick, but if they turn around and get a fourth round pick for him, that is a huge failure for that organization. And maybe it's a failure, doesn't matter what happens, because Sam Bennett's never going to be what they thought he was going to be. But I think there, I think you, I think that colors all of these discussions, uh, even, even though the play on the ice, which is your point, and I agree that that's what you should be thinking about. How can he play and how does he fit with my team? The fact of where he was drafted will always become part of the narrative when you're talking about these kinds of deals. And that's why Taylor Hall, of course, if you just looked at his numbers, what you wouldn't give, to, you know, Bob said, it, I, I wouldn't want him, I, you know, but this is his first overall pick. He's a former Hart Trophy winner. So these things matter, even though it, it seems it may be counterintuitive given what you see on the ice. And let's, I'm not going to, you know, it feels like we're dragging Taylor Hall around, but he left New Jersey and New Jersey got better and went to Arizona and Arizona at best plateaued. He went to Buffalo and they're a disgrace. I don't know. <laughs> there you go. Still okay, first so, overall pick. And, and Scott, you know, as long as I do that, that everyone wants to place Taylor Hall in New York with Lou Lamorello because of the presence of Jordan Everly in uh with the Islanders and, and the feeling you mean is, with all those playoff games that they played in Edmonton. Yeah. 
what I would tell you is that the feeling is that if you, you know the Islanders have the cap space, as you alluded to, John, because of the Anders uh, Lee injury, and as a result of that, they they have the space to add a guy that makes that kind of go, even with Buffalo retaining salary. And in that system, with Barry Trotz there, he doesn't have to be anything more than 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 he was not this year, but the years before that. I mean, he he was a good solid player. I mean, if you look up Taylor Hall, uh, you were talking about goal scoring, Bob. You know, he's never he never really scored more. Like he he was a twenty to twenty nine goal scorer who, who in his good years had a lot of points because he, he was a playmaker. So you could find a home for him on the left side on that team. And, and you hope you cross your fingers that because of a friendship with, with Eberle, that would make it easier to adjust to that team uh, playing within a, a system where, you know, you play four lines, five on five, and, and you just hope that, you know, he can make a, a, a play as, as, as a guy that's dishing the puck on, on the power play. So, if, and if the price is reasonable, I, I think he moves there. I think he could be a difference maker there. But in the case of a guy like like Sam Bennett, you know, he's not that old. So, you know, all of those managers have their files from 2014. And about a third of the league had him in the top two. So that was the, that's the Ekblad draft. So Ekblad went one, Sam Reinhart went two, Leon Dreisaitl went three. And there were I did a feature on him right after that, and I had player personnel people, scouts, telling me Sam Bennett is the best player in this draft. People who are decision makers in organizations had him rated ahead of Leon Dreisaitl. I have it on the record. You know, I can take it out of my old Globe and Mail file if you want it. And so all of those people are, are going to be convinced that they saw something that that nobody else did, and and that's why he is such an interesting reclamation project at that. At this year's draft, I, I think I'll put it this way: I know there's been interest in him. But the biggest issue is that he's got a year left on his contract. The teams that are interested in him are completely capped out, so you got to try and make the money work. It's complicated. I get that it's complicated, but but there's interest, and uh, and it's because you know he's been Taylor, he's Taylor been, Hall, Taylor Hall, Sam Bennett, Kyle Palmieri. I'm taking Kyle Palmieri. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, like okay. it. Hard to argue. Uh, we got to get out of here. We got, time is our enemy. Uh, Dehaj, See, I love because there was nothing to talk about, right, Bob? There yeah. was nothing to talk about. Well, you know, you're lucky I was here to orchestrate this. <laughs> <laughs> and and Dehaj, I, 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 uh, I understand your 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 love for uh, Taylor Hall and his two goals. Um, I hope he gets traded to Calgary. And <laughs> Let's oh, see. it's his hometown. Why let's, not? Let's see how you feel about that in a couple of weeks. <laughs> we got to get out of here, boys. Enjoy um, uh, the few days before the draft and um, um, and and Monday, if that's even possible. Uh, we thank you as always for taking time for us. Thanks, guys. <laughs> see you soon. <laughs> I hope. Anytime. Eric Dehachik, Scott Burnside, John, and I'll be back after these messages. Oh God. Bob McCown, John Shannon, we got to get out fast. Um, I couldn't, we couldn't shut up the hockey pucks. Uh, well, because it's, it's, it's kids in a candy store, Bob, you know, pigeons with the bird seed. It's, it's, you know, and I'll tell you what, in, in a pandemic year where you don't have near the access to the players and the coaches and the managers, it, this is almost like some sort of uh, week of redemption. You, you have to actually go out and talk about it without, 
uh, having to, to to worry about get, getting on the phone or on a Zoom call because well, you, you, you don't get had, near you don't have near the contact anymore. We've had all kinds of coaches and general managers on. I can't. We help. have yes. I can't. Bob, we have the rest of the stiffs in the media can't do their jobs. You know, <laughs> most of which you tutored. Well, no, they, they ultimately I blame I'm you. I'm not taking I'm not taking the blame for everything. <laughs> hey, Masters, uh, Masters preview tomorrow, Bob. Yeah, we'll do that, uh, Lego, and uh, perhaps others. Uh, a look ahead to Augusta 2021. Uh, we thank you for uh, watching, listening, or whatever you're doing. Uh, for John Shannon, Bob McCowan. Have a good one. We'll see you tomorrow.